1: Today, we are speaking with Kenneth Arthur. Hey, Kenneth, how you doing?
0: How you doing, Pat? Great to be on the show.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you. Kenneth is speaking to us today from Ireland, and we'll talk a little bit about what's happening in Ireland in a second. But uh, he is the Chief Commercial Officer of Vision ID, which is a supplier of mobile computing, identification, and barcoding solutions really to a broad full spectrum of 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 business sectors. Um and so we'll talk about kind of what's the latest with Vision ID and, and where they're going. But before we get there, Kenneth tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background.
0: Well banta I'm well it must be about nearly 25 years in sales now. Um ended up in sales very circuitous route. Um, probably did the traditional sales training with the likes of Xerox, then moved in, did a long time in telecoms. Um, and I suppose my key kind of area I focus on is kind of the strategic sales, one of the big ticket sales items. Sales has, I suppose, changed a lot over the last number of years with the rise in inside sales and that machine, which is very data-driven, you know, heavy on analytics. Um, but when it comes to the top deals, you know, if you're trying to close the multimillion euro deals, that the strategy and the people side is more fundamental than ever before. And I suppose that's kind of the, the area from a Vision ID perspective, trying to do the big ticket items, the big managed services. Um, as we move into a system integrator world, that's more and more where I suppose my expertise comes in. So, tell me more about
1: uh, Vision ID and and what you guys are are doing there.
0: So, Vision ID, we're about we're just over twenty one years old, based in Clonmel uh, in the in the south of Ireland. Traditionally, we would have been in the the barcode scanning and print industry. Um, would have been a, a seen as a, a reseller, predominantly with Zebra. Um, um, but over the years, you know, you know, a reseller market is very cutthroat, so you need to add layers of services on top. So very much focused over the last number of years on, on managed services around those. So rather than just supplying devices that we would maybe supply the SIM cards, provide the, the software to manage those devices, provide the managed help desk. So we have a multilingual help desk based to, uh, based in Clambell to support our customers. And I suppose what we've seen over the last number of years, a lot of customers have been talking to us about digital transformation. Um, it can be, digital transformation means all things to everyone, but you know it can be as simple as a sap rollout over a number of years in a a large company it can be removing paper in a clean room and those companies who are on digital transformation always needed devices to remove the paper what we have seen particularly over the last you know especially since covid digital transformation has accelerated everyone is talking about it so it's not just about selling the devices or providing the managed services, we want to move into what I'll call the core. So helping customers with the software and the technology to avail of the new solutions that are out there, be it AR and VR, being able to enhance people to do digital workflows on the factory floor, to be able to do remote assist, because now you mightn't have access to people because they haven't been traveling because of COVID. And generally playing in the space where you're helping customers design that factory of the future. So we play a part in that, um, uh, so very much a niche, niche operator focusing on high-end manufacturing life sciences. And by life sciences, we mean pharma, med, tech, bio. That's,
1: that's great. And, and I think that you know, wh- what you were alluding to right up front where you were talking about kind of the progression of your own career, uh, the, the, the growth space or the commercialization space has certainly evolved dramatically and become much, much more sophisticated. And so, I listened to you talk about <laughs> even what you guys are doing at Vision ID, and and I kind of can sense that there's that strategic part of that element there, right? That's that kind of getting into the discussion to talk about broader solutions. Mm-hmm. So, tell me more about that. Tell me how how uh, sales has and commercialization and growth has has really evolved in terms of really offering kind of like
0: that strategic solution. Well, I suppose with, with a lot of our key customers you you were initially su- supplying one product. Um I'm actually reading uh Basonomics at the moment by is it um the Michael or Brian domain and he talks about the Amazon flywheel and I suppose that's you know in one way what a lot of companies like ourselves do you're supplying one service you're in on the factory floor and you spot a need for something else and you start creating more and you're creating more stickiness and then you get a critical mass where you're now all of a sudden you're seen as a key supplier and that you know gets you to the table to have those discussions around the managed services and addressing business pain points so for us you know it's very you know very much kind of starting off small and as i said adding more and more services um and when you become a critical player you know, from a, a spend with companies you're automatically getting more visibility so you know we would be dealing with the the line engineers the it directors and you're working up the vp level so and as you're going up because of your critical mass those people tend to have a wider span of control so where we were supplying a company in ireland because we were dealing with the line engineer while well, the director might have Responsibility for manufacturing across multiple sites in Ireland, and the VP often might have responsibility across multiple sites in Europe. So, currently, Vision ID, even you know, we supply probably over forty percent of our products and services are landing abroad, and predominantly to American multinationals who may have set up operation in Ireland originally. And because the initial decision makers were were in Ireland, as shared services may have grown. We're getting our span of control is extending. So we're growing with our customers. And as I said, because of the, you know, that flywheel, because we're more and more ingrained, you get, to, you, you have to earn a seat at the table with the top people to have yes, those discussions. Completely.
1: I, I, I can see how that, that extends out and has, has clearly been probably learning from kind of some of the leading uh, management consultancies. Is they've, they've probably been, been the leaders in, in, in figuring that out. But you know, it's it's quite interesting. You also talk about your own the growth story of the business and uh, over the last twenty years, and uh, you're extending outside of Ireland. Tell me some of the dynamics of of, of, a, of a business in Ireland and how it relates to the rest of the world.
0: Well, I, I suppose you know, and this is where when we earn the seats at the table, you know, there there are global organizations with big brand names that can always get in. But, you know, in Ireland, we've always had to scrap for business. Right. So you you develop that competitiveness. But we are a scrappy uh, people. (laughs) Absolutely. So, you know, um, when you think of Ireland and most people, you know, you know, be it the former president uh, who talked about trying you know, Ireland and the tax take and bringing jobs home and that. The reality is, yes, a lot of companies came to Ireland because of tax, but again, Getting to that flywheel, you know, as you more companies come, there tends to be local innovation. The infrastructure is built up, and a lot of resources around. So we have nine of the top ten U.S. technology companies based in Ireland. We have nine of the top ten global pharma. Fourteen of the top fifteen global med tech. So what we have done, and I suppose where we are based, probably not by design, our, our, our founder we're in, we're in his home, uh, his hometown right because where we were based there was a a pharma cluster with eli Lilly and pfizer and these just below us and to the left of us was a medtech cluster with the likes of medtronic and the boston scientifics so where most zebra partners would have been in the retail space that barcode scanning we really concentrated on that high-end manufacturing so you know when you said about how strategic it probably happened by default but actually it positioned us in a great place from a pandemic perspective because we were not exposed to the likes of retail we weren't exposed to hospitality so we actually grew during the pandemic because a lot of those particularly high-end manufacturing from a food and beverage perspective demand for product increase demand for products anything in relation to med tech because if it wasn't for antigen testing or it may be you know more from a vaccines and that those companies have been spending more so we've grown again as our customers Grown, uh, was it the most strategic decision? Yeah, I suppose you need to be in the right place at the right time. Now we further capitalized on that by, you know, I think back March twelfth when the world stopped, you know, we we saw ourselves business drop off a cliff. Now when I say business, I mean, I mean engagement, you know, in terms of the, the invoices and quotes, that sort of business dropped off by forty percent overnight. Literally just wow. dropped off.
1: Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that journey. I mean, it, it, it's been been quite a, quite, a, quite a roller coaster that we've yeah. all been on, and um, I'm hoping that everyone obviously is okay with, with you and your, your, your loved ones. But, but tell me more on the business side on how things evolved from, from February onwards.
0: So we actually uh, last year we had probably our best Q1. Um, and then we had the we saw what was happening internationally. I, I I don't know that we realized the full extent of it. I was, uh, myself and all my extended family, we were going to Disneyland, I think it was the 20th of March in Florida. Um, so there was a lot of panic in, in the personal life back then. But anyway, um, on March the 12th, which was the kind of government announcement here that the country was shutting down, literally the phone stopped, emails stopped because businesses were trying to adapt and find how they could work from home. Now we would have, A lot of people kind of on the road um so we wanted to make sure so so it was able for easy for us to get you know increase our bandwidth to be able to increase some of our laptops and i.t equipment to cope our big challenge was making sure the phone systems or help desk operators could work from home especially for for the multilingual so you know we were quickly up to speed um but after a couple of weeks what we noticed was the volume was down but the value from those was actually increasing so when i saw a drop of Forty percent in volume of activity, the actual volume initially drop in business was probably closer to say maybe only about twenty percent, because maybe there would been projects that were were there from the start of the year, and as the year went on, we started innovating around the problem uh, product called SureTrace ID for contact tracing and um, social distancing in the workplace. Uh, we thought about that probably in April. We based on ultra-wideband technology, which is something we do, you know, derivative of RFID, engage with customers in May, ran pilots in June, and were launched in July. Um, And that was a great success for us. And what that enabled us was to have conversations with customers about how we could support them. So, you know, the business stops, we still have jobs to keep, you have livelihoods, but you can't be ringing up customers talking about barcode scanners and managed services where really you're trying to ring them up to support them and see well, how can you help them keep afloat. Um, so tell me a little
1: bit. So, so is, what's the, the product name is SureTrace?
0: SureTrace ID.
1: Okay, SureTrace ID. And tell me more on how... I mean, the, the, the amazing thing when I listen to that story is, is really kind of, I think, something I've seen as the telltale characteristic of the companies that have succeeded and grown and the companies that have really struggled, which is when presented with the crisis, there were companies that kind of like retreated, locked themselves away and others that innovated aggressively, almost like what I call kind of wartorn, wartime innovation, right? Where yeah. you, you had to come up with a new model. It sounds like that's really what happened in your case. And that and you I mean, the idea that you were able to. Turn around a product and and launch it in just a matter of months
0: is is excellent. Tell me more about that story. Yeah, so I, I, you hear this word about pivoting, and I suppose it's very hard for companies. It's easy to say you pivot, but we actually kind of felt no. Let's stick within the core. So we are experts in RFID, we've been playing around that technology for 10 years. So ultra-wideband beaconing sensors, we kind of felt here, there's something here in sensing. So uh, we we looked for various hardware, Um, we found some, uh, we we talked to various manufacturers. Um, I don't have one of the lanyards here now beside me, but the idea here is when you bring the two lanyards within two meters, which was the recommended social distancing, they would automatically vibrate or alert. So the users would automatically go, all right, I've broken the two meters. But what we also did was we that signal, that interaction was captured on the lanyard. When you pass through a gateway, um, it would automatically upload the information. When people say ultra-wideband and technology, I say, look, simplest example is if you have a, a toll tag on your car, um, when you're passing at the toll bridge, there's a reader up and it picks it up. And that was similar to what the ultra-wideband was doing. So... The interaction if you broke the two meters the interaction would be captured then it was uploaded um to the uh to, we had a hosted um, solutions we developed the software um, and then that would provide a digital contact tracing log so every employee all of a sudden felt safe because they knew what two meters was the boundary but then all those interactions were captured so companies like biomarin uh, in Ireland they were able to keep their businesses operational they didn't shut down they can shut down they didn't stop their products because they knew they were able to keep workers safe so workers were safe companies kept in production and actually our largest um deployment of SureTrace id is in san francisco um, where um i think we've nearly two thousand uh people are using SureTrace id for that reason to protect it in the workplace keep operations going um and yeah we, we went aggressively after it now it had a good it had a strong impact on the bottom line but probably more important than that It kept us relevant with our customer base it was a key differentiator was a lot we were able to generate publicity so we never needed to talk about our core services but because we were relevant in the news and things like that we were still picking up the orders and getting the business so there was a pull through effect but we also then you know kind of head mounted displays we very quickly saw some of the companies in ireland you know the medtech they couldn't get engineers in from places like italy they couldn't get engineers in from Germany. So what did they do when they had a problem with the machine? Then they used head-mounted technology so that you could do remote assist, remote eyes. Um, And again, there are products, solutions like RealWare, we've seen things like Microsoft HoloLens that enabled remote assist. And now that's leading to augmented reality, virtual reality, People now are used to using this technology. Can it enable digital workflows and so forth? So, again, getting to that kind of flywheel, you start off with something from an innovation perspective and you keep talking to customers and adding more onto it and and building layers around it. So, um, yeah, Yeah, it was...
1: no, I I love that. I love the evolution, the rapid evolution that you guys went through. How did it impact kind of like the day-to-day of how you guys uh, were working? i think you mentioned up front to me that you were heavy users of microsoft teams but was everyone working remote how did that function
0: we had um so we have a an office that well i'll say we have about 40 staff um i think we 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 cut it down to three in the office we kept the warehouse open because we would have been deemed an essential business because we supplied a health service in ireland so we were we were kept open from the doors But everyone was at home. The rest of the people were at home using Teams, working in kids' bedrooms or closets or wherever you want to go. So you know, we had everyone was working from home, and I I suppose the great thing was initially it was kind of was all new and stressful for people. But people's work ethic didn't change. You know, people's work ethic doesn't change. So when they were working hard in the office, they were working equally hard at home. You know, so I think more trust became apparent. This I was speaking to a lot of companies between employers and employees. That was one of the good things. So people are now happy to work from home. Although what we've seen now is that after 12 months, people are sick of working from home. They're craving the routine of the office. They're craving the collegiality of it. You know, um, it's okay if you have an office, a dedicated office space, or there's no kids at home, or there's no cat or dog barking around. But most people, a lot of people we see wanting to go back into the office. To get into a routine, they might go back five yeah, days they a week. Yeah, want
1: to connect with people. I mean, yeah. we're, we're human beings, and yeah. uh, we like to be a, be with each other. So, and I, I mean, I think probably, you know, in certain markets, that's probably more true than others. Uh, we we have a big office in Spain, and we saw that uh, immediately when the couple, the team was allowed to go back to the office, they all went right back to the office, and it was. And, and and you know in the U.S. I think it's been the opposite. You know the U.S. has been like, um, hey, this remote stuff works great. Why do we all have to be at the office? I think uh, you know. So it's it's a real mix in 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 what we're seeing ar- around the world. We'll see how that kind of a- a- evolves uh, for sure. But tell me a little bit on how you see see the space now that we're pushing into this post pandemic era. Hopefully, I should knock on wood somewhere. Um, how do you see that impacting what you guys are, are thinking about on the commercial side of Vision ID? I mean, are there are there new products, new services that you guys are thinking about, or is it um, really kind of going back to the core?
0: Um, I, I would when when you mentioned core, so we, we'll never forget our core, right? Because yeah. that's what's there. But I suppose expanding the core. So when we think of devices and things like that, what I would always say is they're on the, the digital edge, right? So if you know ultimately, you need a software service running on it. What we are now seeing is that you know digital transformation is accelerating demand for new technology, um particularly in in that space we talk about the the life sciences and high high value manufacturing. So we have seen more and more companies kind of accelerate those plans because you know they they want to make sure from a future perspective that there is no disruption. Maybe it means less people on the manufacturing floor. So we're seeing, you know, probably COVID has accelerated digital transformation plans probably by five years. So for us, um, using the technology, the new technologies that are there, but working with the customers around the the software behind those, supplying software um, with those services, making sure you have your clear area of expertise and that you can articulate that to customers. So it's very important, you know, we talk about digital transformation. As I said, what that means to one company, what it means to us can be very different. So we wanna be able to quickly go, this is our view of the future factory. And you'll hear terms like digital transformation, industry, 4.0, factory of the future. Well, we have a kind of a a map where we show, this is our view of what the factory floor looks like or future Mm -hmm. factory floor. And this is the space we fit into. And these are the adjacencies around which we build services across it. So we're going to double down in that space, really go heavy on that, um, but also very important to know your skill set and to be able to articulate that to the customers. It's vital for people. Yeah,
1: I, I, I think that that really captures it, it, it quite well. I. I I remember that uh, you flagged the term kind of, of of being at the center of that real time society. So even on like the delivery side, I can see how not only just on the factory floor, but also kind of as it gets out to society, how, how what you guys deliver will have an impact for sure. Yeah. Um, Kenneth, it's been amazing to talk to you today about uh, one of my favorite places in the world, which is Ireland, but also to talk about Vision ID and and everything that you guys are doing and that rapid um, digital transformation that we're seeing, uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. That What I think about is 2020 is the year of, it's like a watershed moment hmm. where um, all of, I think my classic line is those one or two guys that are on every board in, in the world that basically say no to everything, yeah. basically we're finally outvoted <laughs> and, uh, everyone, and everyone uh, embraced. Uh, the change, so thank you so much for telling us about all of these elements at vision ID. If someone wanted to learn more about what you guys are up to where where should they find you
0: Just go straight to the website um, you know we, we place a heavy emphasis on on content and adding new content to the websites so that is always evolving um, and can reach out to us via the the chat feature on that or email into info at visionid.ie. But that's the first port to call where, we, um, where people can talk to us. And uh, yeah, we're, we're more than happy to talk to everyone.
1: Great. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much for being on Uncage today. Uncage is a program that provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the commerce of tomorrow. We've been talking with Kenneth Arthur. Kenneth is the chief commercial officer of Vision ID, and he's been telling me about all of the stuff that, that they're doing in the mobile computing identification and barcoding space, really helping design and, and put together the strategy for the, the factory of today, I would say. Let's not talk about the future, future, but today. And they're making it happen. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Kenneth.
0: Thanks, Pants. Thanks for your time. Cheers.